0: All right. Good morning, GBC. Great to see everybody today. Great to gather together as a church. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Today we're going to be in verse 18 in chapter 16 all the way through the end of chapter 18. So the end of chapter 16 through chapter 18. And if you're newer with us, again, we're really glad that you're here. And just to bring us up to speed real quick, Remember, we're in Deuteronomy. Moses is preaching a series of sermons, three sermons to God's people as they get ready to cross from one side of the Jordan River into the other into the long promised, promised land, right? And Moses's sermons, what is he preaching? He's preaching, he's expounding on God's laws and applying it to God's people, And as they make their way to get ready to go into the promised land, Moses is going to continue to highlight for them what they need to do, who they need to be in order to flourish in the promised land. And today's text is going to highlight the need for good authority. So in this part of Moses' sermon, like Jordan so helpfully showed us last week, Deuteronomy is expounding on the Ten Commandments. Here at the from the end of uh, chapter 16 through chapter 18, we're gonna be leaning into the fifth commandment together. Does anybody remember what the fifth commandment is? Especially kids, what is the fifth commandment? To honor your father and mother, right? But that commandment isn't just about the parent-child relationship. It's about submitting to God-given authority. And that's what Moses is going to preach and expound on and apply to God's people in our text today. And why is this so important? It's so important because the original audience here in Deuteronomy was made of the same stuff that we are, right? Because in every human heart, in every time and place, every age, every culture, every moment, authority can often be seen as a bad thing, can it? Authority is treated with suspicion. So I'm curious, like, even as you hear me say that, is that how you typically feel about authority? Does it bring up feelings of suspicion or distrust for you? And if we're being honest, unfortunately those feelings have some validity to them, don't they? Maybe you've experienced a lack of good authority in your life. Maybe someone has betrayed your trust in your life, someone, an authority figure. So, therefore, in this broken world, you have a distrust, a suspicion about authority. And we're going to see here in a few minutes, Deuteronomy is really honest about that, too. But as a backdrop, just real quick, I think it's really helpful we have this in our minds. It's important before we dive into Moses' chunk of his sermon today, how the Bible generally speaks about authority. It generally speaks about the authority structures in the world, generally speaking, again, in positive ways, that authority is a good thing, not always, but generally, almost like as creatures were designed to need good authority. But again, that's not often how we think and how we feel about authority often, is it? Especially in our day and age especially in and around Portland, Oregon. Can we all agree with that? Who's like, yes, I'm pro-authority. Probably not in some kind of way, right? And the, the temptation can be, man, if we just did away with all authority, we'd be in a lot better kind of place. But I wonder why you think that. Because when you look at God's word, when did authority, when was it established? was established way back at the beginning of the story, way back in the garden, before the fall, right? Adam was over Eve in a loving, cultivating kind of way. God was over Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were over the animals. That was before Genesis 3, before the fall. So authority in and of itself is not the problem. So one other quick way to think about this, I'm looking back From Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy. Let's look ahead just a little bit. If you were to flip over two books over in your translation of the Bible, you probably have in front of you, the book of Judges, maybe the low point in all of the Old Testament. At the end of Judges, it says that in those days, there was no king in Israel. And what did everybody do? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And was that a good thing? It was not a good thing, was it? So there's this need, this presupposition that the Bible is for good authority. So that's where Moses is coming from today as he's gonna be preaching to the people, as they prepare to enter the promised land, he's gonna be preaching all about one thing, good authority and their need for it. And so what we're gonna see today in our text is that in order to truly live, God's people needed good authority, good authority through priests and judges, through good kings and through a new prophet. Okay. So please follow along with me now. Have your Bible open in front of you. Look at verses 18 through 20 at the end of chapter 16. This is God's word. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we need to be reminded and refreshed today with your greatness and your glory and your grace. Please comfort and strengthen us today and bring repentance and belief where needed today. Open your word to us now and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so all about authority. We're gonna see this in three different ways that justice is to be experienced in the land through authority, through priests and judges, through kings, and through a new prophet, okay? So first, priests and judges. So if you were to spend time, and I hope you have as we're in the the time in uh, Deuteronomy together, like read the text that you know is gonna be preached this next week. And as you've been doing that, I'm sure you've been struck by how many imperatives there are in our text today. Uh, We counted in our um, sermon review prep meeting this last week, over 40 times the word shall is in our text today. So it has this drumbeat of command to God's people and what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to live. And this shall, that's again, over 40 times in our text, it's not just about like authority and in concept, right? Moses is calling God's people to obey, to submit to these authorities, how they shall live in light of this authority. So again, just look down at the Bible in front of you. Just kind of let your eyes just take in verses 18 through 20 because it sets the scene for our whole text about authority today. The people are to appoint authorities who will act with what? With righteous judgment, verse 18 says. And why? because of what verse 20 says there to follow, justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Then the end of chapter 16 and flowing into the first part of chapter 17, it talks all about what this righteous justice is not, like in a comparison and contrast kind of way. This righteous justice, what is it not? It's not false worship. The end of 6 and flowing into, or 16, the early part of 17 that Jordan highlighted for us last week, it highlights here in our text the same idea, that God cares about how he's worshiped and he desires right worship. So what isn't right worship? The beginning of 17, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all to you, but you'll see the beginning of chapter 17 shows that false worship is worship that's not in line with God's covenant and that false worship is worshiping anything other than the one true God. So that should be reverberating in our ears and hearts as it was in the original audience before Moses starts making more of his points through the argument of his sermon here. So what are the priests and judges supposed to do for the people as they're supposed to experience righteous judgment in the land and care about justice? Look at chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. What's it say? If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from the place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do." You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. So we have to ask Why did the people need priests? So look down at verse 12 again. It paints the picture for us. Like what's the job description of these priests? It's to minister there before the Lord, your God. And that's in line with throughout the Old Testament, right? We know this, the priests were temporary mediators between God and man. They offered sacrifices required under the law right? And then within that priesthood, there was the one high priest who did what? Once a year, he offered sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people, right? That's how the priests work. So why would God tell them as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, why would God tell them that they still need the office of priests as they started to inhabit the promised land? And really it's because they needed, think about it, they needed an authority to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, right? Because they couldn't mediate between themselves and a holy God with their own righteousness, could they? So even as they're moving into the promised land, the people still have a need for good authority through the office of a priest. The people needed priests and judges to direct them in the ways of God, Because they couldn't direct themselves. That's the story of the Old Testament, isn't it? Like, again, just look right here. I want you to see this. is isn't just me saying this. This is right here on the pages of scripture. Look in verses 12 and 13. Look at how it describes God's people. We get the sense that the people's default setting was to act how? Presumptuously. Over and over again, they would act presumptuously. So they needed the good authority of the office of a priest. They needed priests to stand before God for them to mediate for them, didn't they? That's what Moses, that's what he's preaching here. He's telling them, you need a priest and here's how you shall live in light of that as they prepare to finally enter the promised land. There's a lot here, but I'd ask you to have like a question hanging in your mind that we have to ask ourselves and answer. How are we to understand this today? the need for the office for a priest. And I would submit to you, if you've been at GBC for a while, you know what I'm going to say. I would submit to you, we're going to answer that question with how the Bible answers that question, by looking into how the Bible understands itself. And what's absolutely amazing today, absolutely amazing, as I've been studying this text this week, Moses is standing before God's people preaching this sermon, right? So he has some sort of vantage point looking to the people and then kind of like looking beyond them to what's next. Our text gives us a vantage point too, but it's not just in the the promised land. It gives us a vantage point that gives us a view into the very heart of all of scripture, to the very center of the gospel itself from right here in the book of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Pentateuch because the authority of the priest here is only a shadow that points us to the substance. It's only a promise here, but it's a promise that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's how this text works in God's economy and how the Bible understands itself. So real quick, think about Jesus. Think about the office of a priest. Jesus not only fulfilled the office of a priest by mediating between the people and a holy God, but he exceeded the role of the high priest by forever removing our sins from us, right? The Old Testament priests would offer a sacrifice year after year for the sins of God people. That's only gonna continue as they move into the promised land. But Jesus Christ not only offered the sacrifice once for all, but he himself was the sacrifice. And why can we say this? Because we have God's word on it. Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 12 puts it like this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had suffered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Think of the office of priest and who Jesus is. The office of priests helps us know and appreciate and worship Jesus rightly for who he is. So what does this mean for us? Right? It meant for the people of God in Deuteronomy, they needed good authority of priests to live and inherit the land, to experience righteous judgment, to experience true justice. But again, that was just a shadow. Jesus Christ is the true and final priest we all need to resolve our biggest problem, the problem of our sin, and to meet our greatest need, to bring us into a a relationship with God himself. So on this side of the cross, like maybe some of you here today, maybe some of you hear this talk about priests and maybe like in your own experience in your life, like maybe you've sat with a priest, okay? I would encourage you to think about what Deuteronomy is showing us. On this side of the cross, you don't need a human mediator. You don't need someone to make that connection between you and God. Jesus Christ has done that himself. The son of God is the priest of priests here. He's the only one who we can approach God through, and that's through his own perfect work, okay? So Jesus is the only kind of priest that we need. And because Jesus is the ultimate priest who offered himself as the sacrifice, we can draw near to God and find mercy and grace and help in time of need. And why can I say that? Because that's how the Bible applies this to God's people. Book of Hebrews again, Okay. It's the secret decoder ring for the book of Deuteronomy, Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Like just hear this, what it means for you today that Jesus is the great high priest. Since then Christian, since then church, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us turn then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So the authority of the priest here in Deuteronomy found its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who wasn't just a priest. He's our forever priest, the only mediator you will ever need. Like, do you see, do you feel the dynamics here and what's happening from Moses's sermons here in Deuteronomy? So that brings us to the second office of authority, and that's kings. Kings are needed to experience justice and righteousness in the land. Just look over, glance over chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. I wanna have God's word being the word that's ringing in your ears here. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers who shall set as king over you you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Verse 18, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Just quick thing, as you read that, we're hearing the modern ears, like God's not against horses, okay? But we'll talk about why that is when you read this, like what is the deal with horses here? This text right here is one of the most important and surprising passages in all of Moses's sermons in Deuteronomy. (laughs) Like, did you catch what Moses said here. Do you see it there in verses 14 through 20? Moses anticipates, he calls it, that Israel will want a king like all the nations that are around them, right? That's not them yet. They're not even in the promised land yet. They're just ready to cross the Jordan River. And Moses is like, I'm calling my shot. You're going to want a king like all the other nations around you. And you can hear it in these verses, not just any kind of king, right? Moses sets before them the ideal king. That's what's outlined here. And that sets up that the people should be rightly suspicious of a king that isn't like what they see here. That's going to be the story of the rest of the Old Testament a lot, right? Did Solomon have lots of wives and his heart was led astray from the Lord? Yes. Did multiple kings seek their own glory before God's glory and abuse God's people? Yes. Yes. What did Josiah do when he heard the words of the book of Deuteronomy? He tore his clothes and said, how far have we strayed from what God's word said? Moses is calling his shot on how the people of God are gonna live and why they're going to want a king. So in other words, like we said at the beginning, Deuteronomy is really honest about authority. Authority that we often experience here on earth Right, that kings and people in high authority don't often use their power faithfully or righteously or for the good of others, do they? And unfortunately, that'll often be the experience of God's people with kings, again, as they move forward further into the Old Testament. So just look with me at the ideal that's put before us here on the pages of God's word, the ideal of what kind of king this should be, of what kind of authority they should want and what they need. Look at verse 15. It says, this king, this authority is the one that the Lord will choose and that this king will be from among them. This king should have a heart that will be captured by God rather than with power and riches and many wives. You see that in verses 16 and 17. Then just look at verse 18. This king will be perfectly obedient to God's will and will be a man of God's word, of God's book, is what it's saying. So, this kind of king is to be a king who fears the Lord and is humble. That's what this is saying here. This is the kind of king God's people should want. But again, is that going to be their lived experience? Not at all. In different times and places for a season, yes. But not the norm. Because God's people, they want to put their trust in lesser authorities, in human beings. And then what Moses is is preaching here, again, he calls his shot, and he calls his shot accurately. We could prove it many places. One place you could go to, check it out later. First Samuel chapter 8 right? That's fulfilled. What Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy is fulfilled in 1 Samuel 8. When the people demand a king and God says, they have rejected me as their king. So there's a sense in which Moses's sermon here is warning the people of God, your desire for a king, it's not going to go well for you because their desires aren't too strong, but too weak they settle for human kings rather than the kind of king Moses is putting before them right before they enter the promised land. So again, we wanna be honest. This helps us appreciate that there can be real reasons why maybe you're suspicious of authority sometimes, why I'm suspicious of authority sometimes, because authority here in this broken world is broken and we're often disappointed by it, aren't we? because the story of history isn't necessarily that absolute power corrupts absolutely, rather it's the story that power and authority only bring out what's already in your heart, right? So I just wanna like lean into this a little bit, right? This can be overly familiar. Maybe if you've grown up in the church and a Christian, you like know all the Bible stories, but like think about what's underneath these. Why would the people want a king as their authority. Why does Moses account for the office of king here in Israel's history before they're even entering the promised land? Like why this sermon at this place at this time in the book of Deuteronomy? Why kings? Think about it. It's kings. It's like the foundational longing of the human heart, isn't it? right? That's an implication here. Because if it wasn't such a strong longing, why did all the other nations have kings? And why did Israel come to want a king? It's like imprinted into us in some kind of way, this desire for a king. It's almost like we as people can't help wanting the authority of a king. That's going to be true for Israel too. Like, just to prove my point, just real briefly, I'm gonna forget your favorite king in fictional stories, so give me grace. Think about, though, in all the stories in human cultures, like fairy tales and epic stories, like how many good kings are there in different cultures, and different times and places? Like, we desire good kings, right? Like, think of the stories from King Arthur to King Aragon to Aslan to T'Challa, <laughs> right? Every story's like, you know who the hero is? The hero is the good king because we long for good kings, don't we? The kind of kings who conquer evil, who reigns with justice and who makes the people flourish. Like that's why there's this longing for kings. So what's Moses doing here? He's calling a shot. They're going to want a king. He's anticipating something, isn't he? Like on one hand, if you know your Bible, you know he's anticipating King David, right? And the covenant that's gonna come through King David who ended up being the prototype for the type of king that Israel should have wanted. But it's anticipating an even greater king as Moses stands before God's people. As Moses is looking out at God's people here, again, as they prepare to enter the promised land, he's pointing ahead to the only one who perfectly embodies the kind of king we see that they should want here in Deuteronomy, the kind of king that they need. Who is the king who God chose, who came from among his brothers, who perfectly obeyed the law? Only King Jesus, right? And Jesus not only kept all the words of the law, he was the word of God. Do you see... Where Deuteronomy is pointing us. There's only one king who truly conquers evil and rules with perfect justice, and that's King Jesus. The only king who fought our battles and conquered sin and death at great cost to himself. The people would long for a king. You and I long for a king, and Jesus Christ is the only good king that we long for. Why can we say this? Because this is what God's word tells us. First Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 15 and 16, it's talking about Jesus. And just listen to how God's word describes who Jesus is. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. That's like no king that's ever lived on this earth, right? Or Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So Jesus isn't just a king, like he holds all authority and is the king of kings and Lord of lords. The king of kings who scripture tells us is going to return and return in glory as the conquering king. The king that all other good kings are only echoes and shadows of, right? So why is Jesus called the king of kings? Because he's worthy of it. There's no other way to say it. Why is Jesus the king of kings? Because that's who he is, because he's worthy of that title. So, so far we've seen that God's people need the authority of a priest and they need the good authority of a king. They also need one other office of authority as well. Moses' sermon is like bringing the heat and I just wanna like have us enjoy it. There's so much here, but this last part, it brings us to our third and final authority, a new prophet. Look with me now at this key section of scripture in chapter 18. These verses that I'm gonna read for you here in just a minute, these are across the Bible. These are really, really important verses in God's word. Chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. What's it say? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak Or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You know what's really interesting? This is the first place in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as you're reading it up to this place, the first place that the office of prophet is spoken about. And the foundation for this has been laid in Exodus. You can't get away from Exodus. We're learning you can't get away from Deuteronomy either, right? Remember at Mount Sinai, Israel says, they fear to stand in God's presence. So what do they ask Moses? to go before the Lord and then return God's words to them. And then from here on out in Deuteronomy 18, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, how do the prophets work? Like what's what do they do, right? The prophets were to be God's mouthpieces to the people because the prophets spoke on God's behalf And their words were to be taken as the final authority because they were understood as speaking for God to God's people, right? And how do we know that? Like how many times as you're going through your Bible read through and you come into a prophet in scripture, does the prophet preface what he's gonna say by like thus saith the Lord kind of language, right? He's speaking for God. So why would the people need the authority of a prophet? because they needed someone to speak God's word to them, not a word that they would only invent for themselves. And how would the people know who to listen to? Like, how do they know who a real prophet is? Like, maybe you're nodding your head. Okay, God's proven his case. They need good authority. They need the office of a prophet. But how do we know who like a good prophet is and who a not so good prophet is all the way to like who a false prophet is? Look at the Bible in front of you. Verses 20 through 22 tell us a real prophet of God speaks things that are true and things that come to pass. I just take a deep breath with me for a minute. Do you see how this word here in Deuteronomy 18 is so applicable for us today still too? I think you'd agree with me. There are many people in our world today who say they're speaking for God or speaking about what God says. There's YouTube channels with this. There's TV channels with this. It's all over the place, right? And I'm just gonna be really like honest, especially right now with what's going on in the Middle East with the conflict and the bloodshed and the murder and the evil and all of it. How many voices can you listen to that are telling you exactly what's happening right now and they're calling their shot of what this means and what's gonna happen? I would offer to you, and I say this really lovingly, some of those same people have said things in the past that were gonna happen. Did those things happen? No. How does God's word tell us to understand these people? They're not speaking for God. They might know him, they might have really good intentions, but they are not speaking for God if what they say is not true and if it doesn't come to pass. That's not Pastor Mike saying that, that's God's word in front of you. That's how we're to understand who a prophet is and how they're to work. So let me just like lovingly caution us. Those voices, and maybe even you're tempted to listen to some of those voices, is what those people saying, is it true? Is it coming to pass? And again, have some of these same voices called their shot in the past And did it come true like they said it was gonna come true? I would submit to you, often the story is not. And again, there's whole like book deals built on this stuff. There's whole TV channels funded on this stuff, right? Like people get famous, get lots of clicks talking about this, but that's not what the prophet of God is supposed to do and how they're supposed to speak. They're supposed to be true words that come true. So does God care about any of this? I would submit to you, he does. He talks about it in his word, right? He has a lot to say about this, right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So again, friends, Gresham Bible Church, let me lovingly encourage and caution us. Have your ears and your hearts tuned to true prophets, the prophets that speak to you in a thus saith the Lord kind of way, and then open the pages of scripture and not just speculate on what they think it says, okay? God's people are to listen to God as he has revealed himself to be, a God whose word is true and is not to be trifled with for entertainment and hot takes. That's what Deuteronomy 18 is putting before us. All right, verses 15 through 22, I said earlier that these are really key verses and I wanna prove my point to you briefly. We can see this in a few ways. First, when we get to the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, remember Moses is preaching the series of sermons, and then what is Moses gonna do when he's done preaching? He's gonna go up on a mountain and die. (laughs) The end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, it recalls the promise of the new prophet that's right here in front of us in chapter 18. The promise of a future prophet who would be the fulfillment of this promise. So in light of what we've been learning already in Deuteronomy, like how it's functioning, right? The different horizons it has in view. I think you'd agree with me. It's pointing us somewhere, right? And again, how can we say that? Because of how the Bible understands itself. The New Testament, picture Deuteronomy 18. For those of you who are Seahawk fans, the ball is launched. Long bomb touchdown pass right here in Deuteronomy 18. Okay? Okay. How does the New Testament catch that long touchdown pass? It catches it in multiple places, right? And what it says about who the new prophet is, it catches it and it runs it in for the game-winning touchdown. I'm gonna prove my point real quick. Acts chapter three, like the first sermon, post-Pentecost in the New Testament church on this side of the cross, Peter preaches a sermon and he says directly, he quotes this, Deuteronomy 18, Jesus is the new prophet Moses promised would come. Stephen, right before he's martyred, he gives a really long speech where he shows that all of the New Testament was anticipating the promise of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. In Acts chapter seven, again, right before he's stoned to death, Stephen says directly that Jesus is the true and better prophet that was promised from Deuteronomy. This is because that's who Jesus is. God's word was anticipating him. God's word shows us how great and glorious Jesus is. Right? Think about a prophet. The prophet was supposed to act as like functioning in a thus saith the Lord kind of way. Think about who Jesus is. He was the word of God. John 1 tells us. Jesus is the new prophet Moses promised would come the prophet who announced an end to all our sin. Hebrews chapter one, the book of Hebrews starts by proving this point. Hebrews one, one, and two says this, long ago, think Deuteronomy stuff, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is the authority that the office of the prophet was pointing to. Again, Moses was just a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Listen to this quote. I read this this last week and it struck a chord with me. I I hope it does for you too. Uh, Patrick Schreiner said this, Jesus is not merely the new prophet. He is also the new mediator, the new servant, the new leader, the new miracle worker, the new teacher, and the new redeemer. He is all the things Moses was and more, and he leads the people on a greater exodus than Moses could have ever imagined. Isn't that beautiful? So as we move to a close, I just don't want us to miss this. It's critical that we don't miss the whole point of what Moses is preaching here in our section in Deuteronomy today. Did God's people succeed in what Moses was commanding them here about authority? Did they succeed? No. They fail in epic kind of ways. We know this, right? And Deuteronomy's calling that shot too. They fail, they don't keep their end of the covenant relationship with God. But God, what does he do? He succeeds where we fail, doesn't he? He always, always underline it. He always keeps his promises, his covenant promises to his people. That's what Deuteronomy is driving home for us. The point is this, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves and that's really really good news, right? Because of the gospel, we're called to trust and follow Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. But we fail too, don't we? Think about what kind of authority Jesus has and who he is. Jesus isn't just the authority that lays out everything you're supposed to do and everything you're supposed to be and then leaves it on you to do it because you'll fail. Jesus used his authority to do what needs to be done. And then he graciously offers it to us. So, like, I wonder, I've been thinking about this this week. I wonder where in your life right now are you trying to be your own prophet, your own priest, your own king? Wherever that is, you're gonna fail. <laughs> That's gonna disappoint you. How's that going for you right now, is what I would say. What are you trying to do for yourself that only Jesus can do? Because only Jesus is perfectly all three of these offices of authority at once. Like he doesn't wear one hat at one time and one hat at the other. He is all of this. He is our prophet and priest and king. And it's critically important we relate to him in this way because that's who he is. I wanna point us like to the end of the book as we wrap towards a close. The end of God's word, Revelation chapter 1, verses five and six. Think about prophet, priest, and king, and then listen to these verses. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like, do you see it in those verses who Jesus is? He's our faithful witness. That's Jesus as prophet. He's the firstborn of the dead. That's Jesus as priest. Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. That's Jesus as king. So in the threefold office of Jesus Christ, we are granted our freedom from sin. I like, think about this. I wanna overlay this against like our normal walk. I wanna kind of like shake us in some kind of way. This shouldn't be just water passing through one end of the pipe through the other. Like think about the cross. Think about Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. On the cross, Jesus did his work as priest, didn't he? And the cross is also Jesus's pulpit and his throne. It's his altar, his pulpit, and his throne. The cross is the pulpit of Jesus Christ. From it, he preaches to us the love and justice of God. That's the work of the prophet. The cross is where our sins are atoned for, that's the authority of a priest. The cross is where death and sin and Satan are conquered for all time. That's the work of a good and glorious king. So I wanna uh, lay this before you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, like we say often at GBC, cause we mean it like we're really glad you're here. I would ask you to consider what you've heard today from God's word in view of who Jesus is and all that he offers you, we encourage you to entrust your life to him. Jesus is the only authority who won't fail you, who won't disappoint you, who won't abuse his authority in your life. He's the only authority who takes your sins and gives you his life. So friend, if that's you today, let me encourage you to confess and repent of your sins of rejecting and ignoring, ignoring the authority of Jesus Christ and trust Jesus to be your prophet, priest, and king, the one that you really need. And then for those of us who are Christians here today, just thinking about this text thinking about us as a church, as one of your elders, like I'm not aware of everything all of us are bringing here today, but I am aware of something some of you are bringing today. And I want you to know, I think a lot of us know this, a lot of us have been going through some really difficult stuff, right? Whether relationally, health stuff, let alone the sin and injustice we all see in the world. So no matter what you're going through, I think our text applies to you. I don't want you to just think about this is like stuff that's disconnected from your everyday life. No matter what you're going through, and I really mean it, what we need most is to really see and delight and trust in just how good and glorious and gracious Jesus Christ is like whether you know it or not, you are starving for the greatness of God. No matter what else you're going through, like underneath, whatever that is, and I mean it, you are starving for the greatness of God. Deuteronomy points us to the greatness and the glory and the grace of God that we need. That Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. Like, do you see how beautiful Jesus is with those vantage points? right? No matter what you're bringing with you here today, Jesus is really as glorious and true and majestic and beautiful and good as he says that he is. So I would encourage you today, like let the glory and the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ get underneath your unbelief and let it speak life and hope into those dark places in your life right now, into those places of unbelief, and fear, and shame, and hurt. Whatever you're going through, you can trust Jesus Christ. That's the kind of authority that he is. Because Jesus is the prophet of prophets, he's the priest of priests, and he's the king of kings. So what's this mean for us? Let me leave you with a quote. It's always good to quote an old British guy. Matthew Henry said it like this. Take Jesus for your king and by baptism swear allegiance to him. Take him for your prophet and hear him. Take him for your priest to make atonement for you. So we've seen today from God's word that in order to truly live, God's people need the good and perfect authority of Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Please bow with me together in prayer. Father, we confess and repent together, Lord. We are far too easily pleased with lesser authorities. We seek those things that cannot satisfy. Father, I pray that you will help us as a church, and help each of us individually, Lord, to trust and follow Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And if there's any here today, Lord, that don't know you yet, I pray today will be the day that they pass from death to life and to know just how good and true and gracious your authority is. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.